Great. Thank you so much, everybody. Now, we're just going to come to our time of um, Alex sharing with us. So um, Alec is going to be sharing on Ruth today, and I'm just going to pray for Alec before he speaks. So Jesus, thank you for Alec. Thank you for the message that you have put on his heart. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will be speaking through Alec to all of us today. Amen. Over to you, Alec. Amen. Oh, am I on? Yes. Amen. Great. I think you should pray for everyone else rather than for me. <laughs> um, the children. Can we have the children here? Can you come down? Children, if you're under, under, I don't know, 13, 12, you're very brave. Would you like to sit here? And we have some more. And some more. Great. Well done. I need some volunteers, so I have to have some people down here. Great. Well done. Today, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, this is a real story, though. It's not like one of the stories I told before, which was just a parable. This really happened. And it's a story from the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament, and it's from the book of Ruth. And uh, it's an amazing story, because it tells of the covenant love of our God. And it's uh, an honor to be standing here and telling you today about this wonderful story, which shows us something of how God loves us. Now, covenant love, I'm going to explain a bit of that as we go along, okay, what that means. And some of it might surprise uh, some of us here today, because it's... Uh, uh, it's, it's like a parent's love, like your mum and dad or whoever looks after you, like their love for you. That's the way that God loves us. Um, and it's called in the Bible, covenant love. All right, the story starts like this. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Um, in the days of the judges, we'll see what that means in a minute. In the days of the judges, there was a family in Israel and this family consisted of a father called Elimelech, uh, the mother, she was called Naomi. And a lot of the book of Judges, or sorry, a lot of the book of Ruth, although it's called Ruth, is actually about Naomi. So it could be called the book of Naomi, but it's called the book of Ruth. Anyway, the mother was called Naomi, the father was called Elimelech, and they had two sons, one called Kilian and one called Marlon. And there was a famine in the land. Now, do any of you know what a famine is? Yeah? When there's no food. Exactly right. Well done. So there was a famine in the land. There was no food. So all the, all the crops failed. The farmers weren't producing food, and all the people were hungry. If you don't know what a famine is, then thank God. Uh, because it's a, it's a very nasty thing, a famine. And it was so bad that this family had to move. Can you imagine moving from your house, having to move from here to there? Yes. Yes? You moved house. Well, this was like that, except not quite, because they were driven out by a famine, okay? So they had nothing to eat, so they moved house, and they had to move country. And there's some people here today who have moved country, and not because they wanted to. Some people here today 
Uh, I met, met somebody, I was talking to them just before the meeting today. Moved country, not because he wanted to, but because he had to. And this family moved house. And they moved all the way from the land of Israel to the land of Moab. Moab, that's in the Bible. Uh, it's a land right next door to Israel. And there wasn't a famine in Moab. So they moved to Moab. Moab, incidentally, that country came from the descendants of Lot. That doesn't really come into the story, but it's just interesting to note. And it was right next door to Israel. Now, they moved to the land of Moab where there was food and they could eat again. And they settled there. But, unfortunately, Elimelech, the father, died. So Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi was left with her two sons, Marlon and Kilion. But that was okay. They lived in Moab for about 10 years, but then something awful happened. Marlon died and Kilian died. This is a sad story, isn't it? It's a true story as well. So Naomi was left with no husband and no sons. But before they died, Kilion and Marlon had got married. And they got married to two Moabite women one of whom was called Orpah. I got that right. When I was practicing this, I said opera. Uh, but it's not an opera, it's Orpah. And the other one was called Ruth. And this is the Ruth of the Bible, okay? So she's left with these two daughters-in-law whom she can't support because she can't go out and, and do all the farming stuff that you need to do in those days. So she's very poor. And she's left with these two daughters-in-law. Now, she hears that the Lord has visited his people in Israel and given them food. Ah, so there's food now, not in Moab, but in Israel. So she decides to move back to her first home in Israel. Um, and she says to her daughters-in-law, I can't support you. I've got no money. You go back be with your, your families, go back to your mother's house. And her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, say, no, we're not going to leave you on your own to go back all the way from Moab to Israel. We're going to go with you. And then Ruth says, she says, uh, sorry, Naomi, the mother, says this. She says, go, return each of you to her mother's house May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. That means Marlon and Kilion, their two husbands who were Naomi's sons. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So go back and marry again. Have a good life. You, there's nothing that I can give you. I'm just a poor woman. I've got no husband. I'm too old to marry again. There's nothing that I can give you. Um, and both daughters say... No, we're going to go with you. Um, so then Naomi says again, No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. I thought this story was about the covenant love of God. But here's Naomi saying, The hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Well, we need to understand that, so we'll come back to that in a bit. At that point... The daughters-in-law raise their voices and weep. 
And Orpah uh, kisses Naomi. But Ruth clings on to Naomi. And Orpah turns back. And she goes back to her mother's house. And we don't know about her because that's, that's where she drops out of the story. But Ruth says something uh, important. Because Naomi says to Ruth, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And, it's an important bit here, your God, my God. Because the people in Moab over here, they didn't worship God. They worshipped uh, a, a range of idols, and the chief of their gods was called Chemosh, no god at all. But Ruth is saying, I'm going to leave behind my people. I'm going to leave behind my family. I'm going to leave behind my God, because I think there's something better over here. And we'll talk about that in a second. So they go back to Israel, and they go back to uh, Bethlehem, which is where they came from. And the people of Bethlehem say, is this Naomi? Come back. Because she's quite old, and she's changed a bit. She's probably a bit thinner than she was. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi, Naomi means full. And she said, when I left Israel, I had a full life. I had a husband. I had sons. But now I'm empty. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. So we're halfway through the story. We're at the end of uh, chapter 1. There are four chapters. We're going to spend most time on chapter one, don't worry. Um, But we're still in this sad phase of the story, aren't we? What's happening? Where is this covenant love of God? Where is this love of God? Well, to understand that, we need to understand uh, the context of the book of Ruth. And I want you guys to help me with this. Because what we need to do is we need to look at where it comes in the Bible. And to do that, we're going to do a human timeline. You know what a timeline is? It's where you lay out things in order of years. So from early times, we're going to put over here, and later times, we're going to put over here. Right. So I need some volunteers to hold up some cards. Uh, Yes. In fact, all of you, if you can stand up. I hope I've got enough. I'm going to use everyone in this anyway. Uh, right, that one come later. Right, who'd like to show us where Jesus stands on the timeline? Excellent, you put your hand up first. Now, this is old times, new times. We're going to put Jesus over here because we're looking at the Old Testament. So can you come over here and stand here? This is yellow lines of timeline. And I want you to hold up your card above your head. Right, now when you get tired, you can hold it down there because it's very tiring holding it above your head all that time. Okay, what's your name? Phoebe. Phoebe. Thank you very much, Phoebe. So this is Jesus in our timeline. Okay, next we're going to have Abraham. Who'd like to be Abraham? I think you put your hand up first. So now, Abraham is early on, isn't he? That's right. You know, you know this already, don't you? So Abraham was the first man in the story proper in the Bible. I mean, if you, if you look at your Bible, you go through Adam and Eve, 
And after just a few pages, you get to Abraham. And that's because God wanted to get to the point where he's showing his love through a family. God loves family. Yeah? So can you put that above your head? And when you get tired, you can hold it down there. That's perfectly all right. Okay? Right. So we've got Abraham. Now, conveniently for us, Abraham was about 2,000 years before Jesus. Not exactly. We don't know exactly when he was, actually. Probably a bit later than that. But uh, for the sake of argument, 2,000 years. And that's really handy if you're trying to get this timeline stuck in your brain um, in order to understand the Bible a bit better. 2,000 years is a long time. Do you know our Bible goes all the way, well, it goes from Adam and Eve, of course, but all the way from Abraham to Jesus. And we have these stories, like the story of Ruth that we're talking about today, these stories of God's love and faithfulness and covenant stretching over 2,000 years, written by many, many different people, and all testifying to the same God. This is one of the most wonderful things about our Bible, about our holy book, and it gives us great confidence, in fact. Um, Right, next one, D. Now, who do you think D is? Any ideas who D might be? Yeah? David, very good. But I think, who had their hand up first? I didn't see. I'll tell you what, um, you two come to this one, you can do the next one, okay? Um, So can you both come here? That's it, you can come too, if you want to. And can you hold that up high? When you get tired, you can put it down there, but make sure people can see it, okay? That's very good. That's very clever, that is. I wouldn't have thought of that. Right, so this is David, King David in the Old Testament. And conveniently for us, King David was about 1,000 years before Jesus. So this is really handy for us. I don't think God intended it this way particularly, but it is quite handy. So if you remember just these three, Abraham, David, and Jesus, and you remember where they stand, it will allow you to fit in all the other books of the Bible. Well, the Old Testament. The New Testament is all, of course, uh, about here. Okay? Right. You're doing well. Uh, now, now let's, just, get, let's just, just, just have a bit of a test. I don't have a card for this one, but who can tell me where Moses might be? Moses. Yes, we like to stand where Moses would be. It doesn't have to be exact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around here. Can you guys shuffle this way a little bit, just to about here, because you want to be halfway. That's it. Perfect. Thank you. So Moses is here. Now, he has to come after Abraham, doesn't he? Because Abraham was the beginning of the family of God. Abraham was the one who got the promises about the, the land and about uh, having lots of, lots of descendants after him. So Moses have to, has to come after that. But was Moses before or after David? Well, David was a king, wasn't he? He was the second king. I've no idea why he wasn't the first king, but he was the second king um, and, the, and the greatest king of Israel. So he must be before that, and in fact he comes, conveniently, roughly 1,500 years before Jesus. So it's actually quite, quite handy, this thing. Right, okay, thank you. Um, if you can stay there for the moment. Now, bearing that in mind, uh, where, are, where does the book of Judges come? Do you remember right at the beginning of the story, I said, in the time of the Judges. 
So where do the judges come? Any thoughts on that? It's a tricky one. Uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, Richard, can you come up and stand where the judges come? Thank you. So Richard represents the book of Judges. And I asked him because he's a Bible expert and he helps me out every now and then with things I need to know. Now, why has he come here? Well, the judges were the leaders in Israel. People like Gideon, people like Deborah, and people like Samson. You remember those stories in the Bible? Um, and they were judges. But that means that there weren't kings, because if they were leading Israel, then there were no kings. So it must be before David. On the other hand, it was in the land of Israel. And Abraham, back here, wasn't in the land of Israel. Well, he was in the land of Israel, but he, he didn't own the land of Israel. Moses was the one who took his people out of Egypt and into the land of Israel, although he didn't go in himself. Do you remember? God says, you can't go in yourself. But he saw, he saw his people going in after he died. So after Moses, there was Joshua and then the time of the judges. Thank you, Richard. Um, if you'd like to sit down, I'd like you guys to come and stand here where Richard is. No, don't, don't sit down here. Maybe you go sit down Please, Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Have mercy on you. Uh, if you guys would, would come and stand here. So you guys represent the time of the judges. And you could, be, uh, you could be Deborah, or you could be Gideon. Um, but anyway, we've got the time of the judges. About 400 years um, from just after Moses, after Joshua, to just before King David. Now, what was the time of judges like? Because this is going to help us understand why these sad things happened uh, in the book of Ruth. What was the time of judges like? Well... After Moses and after Joshua, uh, people began to do bad things. And they started even, even to worship gods other than the true God. That's pretty serious. And God got cross with them. Now, you guys at the front here, do your mums and dads ever get cross with you? Everyone's looking at their mum and dad, wondering whether they're allowed to say. Uh, and the answer is yes. I know it's yes. I asked the question, but I know the answer is yes. Your mums and dads sometimes get cross with you. Did you eat your vegetables last night? That's a common one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And God got cross with his people when they did the wrong thing. And God sent them out, um, sent enemies against them. And it, what he said was... Wherever they went, this is the Israelites, after they'd been naughty and done the wrong thing, wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them. Does that ring any bells? Does that remind you of anything that came earlier in the story? Naomi said, the hand of the Lord was against me. And in the time of Judges, the people of Israel would do naughty things. The hand of God would be against them. And then they would cry out to God. And they'd say, Lord... What's happening here? Why, are you, why have you done this? And God would send them a judge like Deborah or like Gideon 
or like Samson, and the judge would sort out the situation and the people would turn back to God. And there was this cycle of turning away from God and then crying out to God and then God would rescue them and then turning back to God again. And the book of Ruth happens in the middle, well, not actually, it's towards the end, of the book of Judges. So this famine, right at the beginning of the book of Ruth, was very likely one of these cycles that comes in the book of Judges. So what does this mean? Uh, What it means is, we've got a story of some ordinary people in the middle of one of these cycles. So if you read the book of Judges, you see the stories of Gideon and Samson and the important people. But in the book of Ruth, we've got a book of some perfectly ordinary people who are stuck in one of these cycles. Was it, was it Naomi's fault that there was a famine in the land? No, well, possibly, but probably not. It was nothing to do with her. She was just part of something bigger that was going on. It's interesting, isn't it? She's part of something bigger that's going on. Does that mean that it's out of God's plan? Of course it doesn't. And we'll see that later in the story. When I finish the story, we'll see that God's plan encompasses this. Was it part of Naomi's plan? If you talked to Naomi on her wedding night and said, what are your plans for your future? It wouldn't have included famine, would it? No one says, well, I think, first of all, I'll have a famine. Wouldn't have included a husband dying. Wouldn't have included her children dying. So it's not in Naomi's plans, but it is in God's plans. Good. Um, I'm going to finish the story in a second, but hold on, stay there for for a moment, because I want to put Ruth on the timeline. Well, we know where Ruth is, because she's in the time of Judges. Could you hold up Ruth? Because you're in the time of the Judges. You've got David there. You can hold up David. That's it. Well done. Um, And I want to put Rahab on as well, because we've been doing the people who are before Jesus um, and the, the ancestors of Jesus. Um, Flora told us about Abraham, who's one of the ancestors of Jesus, and then uh, last week we were told about Rahab. Now, where does Rahab come in this timeline? Well, do you remember that that, uh, there were spies going into the land, spies going into the land of Israel? So that puts Rahab after Moses, because Moses didn't actually get into the land of Israel, but before the time of Judges, so Rahab, could you hold Rahab up for us, uh, was right at the beginning, just down this side, this way a little bit, thank you. Uh, Rahab was in Joshua's time, just before the time of the judges. So Abraham, Rahab, Ruth, and I, I hope you get the idea, once you've got, once you've got in, your, in your head that Abraham was about 2,000 years ago, David 1,000 years ago, and Jesus, uh, obviously, it's before Jesus, I mean, 2,000 years before us. Now I've got one last one. And I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to stand where this person is in this timeline, okay? Right? This is the person. Okay. Now, can you think where that person might be? Yeah? Okay. Go on, then. He's going this way. I wonder who it is. Could it be Paul? No. Oh, no. Thank you very much. So this is me or us. So 
we are part of God's great plan. God's great plan goes through Abraham, Rahab, Ruth, Moses, David, uh, Jesus, and it carries on all the way up here to us. Um, that's important, as we'll see. So thank you very much. If, you, if your children would like to come and sit down, I'll finish the story now. Uh, you can keep those if you like. Can you come and sit down in front again, and then I'll finish the story for you. Right, so, um, can we have the, the uh, first slide? In fact, skip through a couple of slides till we get to the first learning point. We've got four learning points today, and we're already through uh, two and a half of them. Uh, first learning point, bad things happen to us sometimes. Now, that might seem obvious. If you read the Bible, it really ought to be obvious. New Testament, Old Testament, but it isn't always, particularly when you're about 25 and everything's going well and you're looking to buy a house and you're looking to get a new job, be very careful because you can forget that bad things happen to us sometimes. And the next point, and sometimes that's our fault, obviously, if we make bad choices, but sometimes it isn't. And Ruth uh, Ruth was caught up in something much bigger uh, than herself, and we are too, because we're part of this timeline. And we, um, um, sometimes things happen to us that are not our fault, sometimes it's not something done to us, but it's because we're part of something bigger. And at that point, we have to remember that we're not outside God's plan, and that's the point of the, one of the points of the book of Ruth, we might be outside our plan, but we're not outside God's plan. Um, okay, so what do we do if we find ourselves in this difficult situation? What did Ruth do? What did Ruth do when she found herself in this situation? Um, can we put the next slide up? Well, I've put up here some of the things that Ruth said because a lot of the book of Ruth is actually, um, sorry, Naomi said, uh, a lot of the book of Ruth is dialogue. And I've highlighted where she talks about God. Uh, the Lord had visited people in giving them food. May the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord grant that, that you may find rest. And later on, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. These are the words of a woman who is sad. Uh, these are the words of a woman who maybe is a bit depressed. But these are also the words of a woman who's walking with the Lord. Uh, if you just look at, look at what she says, she's walking with the Lord. And if you find yourself in a situation where things are not going well, what do you do? You walk with God. If times are going well, you walk with God. If times are going badly, you walk with God, and you look to Him, you look to Him for His covenant love. So when your mums and dads are cross with you, which does happen from time to time, maybe not eating your vegetables, why is that? It's because they know what's good for you, isn't it? And bad things happen to us, God is quite capable of having the big picture 
and also the little picture. And God knows what's good for us. And he'll walk through bad things with us. He'll walk through difficult times with us. But something else I want to ask you. When your mums and dads are are cross with you, do they stay cross forever? No. They don't, do they? Why not? Because they love you. And that gives us some insight into the covenant love of God. And just as in the book of Judges, we learned that God would listen to his groaning of his people and he'd turn around and he'd help them. So, our parents don't stay cross with us forever. My mother's 89. And she doesn't say to me, no, you can't do that because you didn't eat your greens when you were three. Um, No, because she loves me. And that covenant of love of God, you can't escape it. You can't get out of it. You can be very naughty, and your parents will still love you. That's the nature of covenant love. And that's the nature of the love that God has for us. Uh, Okay. So, um, yeah, walk with God through good times and bad times. Naomi did that. And do you know, she's already, even, even in her in her sadness and even in her difficult times she's already won someone for the Lord she's won Ruth for the Lord Um, can we put the next one up go on the next slide no back one back one this one Ruth okay so Ruth said do you remember this do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you for where you go I will go and where you lodge I will lodge your people will be my people and your God my God For Ruth, this was as much about leaving the old God, who was not God, and and coming across to this new God, as it was about leaving her family. Um, How, why, why did she do that? It's because she saw Naomi. And Naomi might have been sad, but she saw how Naomi worshipped God. She saw how Naomi walked with God, and something must have rubbed off. And when we're going through difficult times, people's eyes are on us. And if you walk through those times with faith, you walk through those times walking with God, people will notice. And people will say, what, who is this God who actually walks through you with these, uh, walks through these difficult times with you? Uh, now, we must finish the story because we haven't gone on to the, uh, to the bit where God uh, turns everything around because God always turns things around. Um, right, so where were we? They were coming back. Do you remember? Naomi and Ruth uh, were coming back to Bethlehem, which is where they'd set out from. And they got to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. So that's when the farmers were collecting in their barley. Now that's really important because they had no money, remember? They had no money. All they had actually was a bit of land. So Ruth still owned some, not, not Ruth, Naomi still owned some land in Israel, but she didn't have anyone to work it. She didn't have any money to hire anyone to work it, so the land was useless to her. She could sell it, but she could only sell it to um, a close relative. And the reason for that is on the timeline here where you had Joshua. When Joshua brought the people into the land, he parceled it up family by family. And if you owned this bit of land, the idea was your family would stay on it forever. And Elimelech, you remember the Elimelech? He was the husband of Naomi at the beginning who died. 
one of the deepest desires of his heart was to see his family established on this bit of land. But he didn't see it. Um, he didn't see it uh, in his lifetime. Um, but uh, Naomi could sell that bit of land to a close relative, and the close relative uh, would then look after Ruth uh, and uh, as well as Naomi. Um, but they didn't know who the didn't know where the close relatives were. So Ruth said to Naomi, let me go and glean. Now, does anyone here know what gleaning means? That's a difficult one. Glean. This is about the harvest. So imagine harvesting barley. So you, you take your scythe or your sickle and you cut it all down, and then you build it into big, big um, sheaves, and you, and you, and you um, tie it up with, with string or leather or whatever they used in those days, I don't know. Um, and then you, you, what you do is you leave it there for a bit, and then at the end of the harvest, you beat it out, you winnow it. And that's where you, you, you hit it with stuff until you have all the nice bits to eat, and then all the stuff that you can't eat gets blown away by the wind. That's winnowing. But gleaning is where, uh, you, if you're very poor, you couldn't harvest this stuff, but what you could do was you could go along after the harvesters. And so if the harvesters are here, cutting down the, the sheaves of barley and then stacking them up, you'd follow along and you'd pick up the bits that they missed. Oh, dear. Oh, it's hard work. Oh, oh. Now, you can't get very much that way. You're not going to get rich as a gleaner. But on the other hand, if it's all you can do, it's all you can do. Uh, but it's backbreaking work. Um, I should know. I love gardening. My wife will tell you. Lizzie will tell you. I love gardening the same way as I love rugby. They're both great spectator sports. <laughs> uh, but bending over all day, uh, I tell you, when you get to my age, uh, and a bit, bit on the tubby side, when you get to my age, at my stature, you have difficulty bending down to get that packet of minstrels out of the vending machine. It's uh, anyway, uh, Ruth wasn't like me, I'm glad to say. And Ruth did this gleaning from morning until night, and she was very tired. Um, but uh, at the end of the time there, the owner of the field came back. And the owner of the field was a man called Boaz, and he was a man of God. And Boaz looked around, and he saw this woman, young woman, Ruth, and he said, whose is this woman? Meaning, she must be a servant of somebody, and whose servant is she? And the people who were doing the reaping said, oh, she's a, a Moabitess. She's the one who came, you remember, and, and um, you know the story, don't you? About Ruth, a Moabitess, who, who's looking after her, her uh, mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz was moved, and, and he said to Ruth, he said, I know all about you because I've been told of your good works. I've told, been told how you've left your people and you've looked after Naomi and now you've come to shelter under the wings of the Most High God. He didn't say it quite like that, but almost like that. Um, and he said to her, I don't want you to go into any other field because gleaning was dangerous. It's like living on the streets today. If you have to do it, you have to do it, but it's a dangerous place to be. Especially if you're a single woman, and you can imagine how, how difficult that must have been. Um, so Boaz 
gave instructions to his reapers, leave her alone. Let her, let her glean. And he went further than that. And he said, don't just let her glean. Let her glean among the sheaves. Now, normally you weren't allowed to glean in that area because um, there was still stuff that the farmer could get. And not only that, he said, when you're gathering these sheaves together, I want you to pull out a little bit. Just drop it. Um, and, and they did that. And so when Ruth went back to Naomi, she was carrying a whole bundle uh, of barley. And when she got back after this back-breaking day, she then uh, had to beat it out. <laughs> it's hard work, you know, being a gleaner. She beat out the barley, uh, and that meant that she and um, her mother-in-law, Naomi, could live. So they lived through the harvest. But by the end of the harvest, they were stuck because there was no more gleaning to be done. The winnowing was about to start at the main harvest, but they had no money, remember. So Naomi says to Ruth, I want you to do this, and she hatches a plan. Now this plan, um, some of you who've read the book of Ruth will, will know it, but I just want you to think about this plan for a moment. It's pretty jolly dangerous. Lots of things could go wrong with it, and uh, the adults here will, will understand what I mean by that. Lots of things could go wrong with it, but this is what I want you to do, and God was behind the plan. Because um, God was already showing his covenant love, and the main way he did that was when Ruth went to glean, she could have gone to any field or any part of the field, it really says. She just chose one at random. And when she went to glean, she found herself in Boaz's field. And Boaz was one of these close relatives who could buy the land from Naomi. This is God's hand in the background of the story. Anyway, Ruth agrees and does this dangerous plan. And when I say dangerous, I mean, chances of it coming off were pretty slim. Uh, in American football terms, at the end of the fourth quarter... Uh, fourth down, 10 yards to go, and it's what the American football commentators would call a Hail Mary plan. Now, being good Protestants, we don't call it that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it, was a, it was a plan that would not have worked without God, let me put it like that. So, Ruth carried out the plan. Do you know what she did? She waited until Boaz, who was the head of the harvest, of course, came back uh, from the winnowing. So he was winnowing, and then he came back to guard the crop, because once it had been winnowed, it was very valuable. So he came back to guard the crop, and he went to sleep um, in front of the, the storage area. I went to sleep. I was a bit Oh, that's been a good harvest. And he pulled his cover over him, and he went to sleep. Then he felt something with his foot, and he woke with a start. Well, you would be surprised, wouldn't you? He felt something with his foot. Mm. 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 
Because what Ruth had done was when he was asleep, she crept up to him and she'd uncovered his feet. Now, why? Well, it's an old custom. I don't really know it myself. And it's uh, all we know about it is from this particular story. But she uncovered his feet and she lay down at his feet. So when Boaz woke with a start, not only did he have a start, but he found there was this woman lying at his feet. Now, in those days, that actually meant something. Um, And and what it meant was, um, I want to come under your covering. So what what Ruth was saying to Boaz was, I want to come under your protection. I want to come under your your, covering. In those days, let me put it this way, in those days, if you're a woman, you couldn't ask a man to marry you. The man had to ask the woman to marry you. But she was effectively asking him to marry her. And Boaz said, what do you think he said? What do you think? Yes, no? What do you think? No, No. (laughs) you're making it up. (laughs) Boaz said yes. And the very next day, Boaz uh, did all the legal niceties and he got everything sorted and he married Ruth. So Boaz and Ruth got married, um, and from that time on, there were no financial problems because Boaz was a wealthy man. So both Ruth and Naomi were well taken care of. But more than that, Ruth and Boaz had a son. Now, Ruth and Boaz had a son. I'm in a little baby, you know, tiny. Well, not that tiny. How big are babies? Forgotten a long time ago. They had a baby son, Yeah. Uh, and the baby son was called Obed. Um, and now, Ruth and um, Boaz had the son. Who do you think they chose to be the nurse? You want somebody who's a bit older, maybe, somebody who's had their children, and yeah? And Naomi, that's right. Naomi got to be the nurse. So Naomi's life was full once again. Nobody ever called her Mara. You remember she came back and she said, call me Mara because I'm empty. Nobody ever called her Mara because from that time on, she was full. What about this big timeline? Well, remember, uh, remember uh, um, in the story, we've got Kilian and Marlon and Elimelech, all of whom died. But God was faithful to them because he provided a son to, to dwell on their land. And he provided what was the deepest desire, I, I think, of uh, Limelech's heart. But only after he died, which is, which is sobering, I think, and interesting. But just imagine this man Obed. So this man Obed had Boaz, this man of God, as a father. And he had Ruth, this woman who loved God so much that she left her family and left her gods behind in Moab to come and worship Uh, worship God. Um, And then as a nurse, he had Naomi, this woman of God who'd walked with God through really difficult times and come out the other end to see God's covenant love. What a a start in life, eh? That's pretty good, isn't it? Um, And indeed, he had a good start in life. And his, he, when he grew up, he had a son called Jesse. And when Jesse grew up, he had a son called David, which I think if I unscrew this, no, 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 no. Who's got David? David's gone. 
David. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So, Obed's son was Jesse. Jesse's son was David of the Bible. And David's son, 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 was Jesus. God's plan stretches over the whole of time. And Ruth, a Moabitess, someone who didn't even know God at the start of the story, played such a huge part in God's plan. That is the end of the story. Um, thank you for sitting patiently. I want to say a, a couple of brief things to the adults, but I think there'll be an activity. Someone? Yes, there'll be an activity at the back for you. Uh, so you can go to the back or you can stay here if you like. It's uh, nothing secret, I'm going to say. Okay, four things we learned. One, bad things happen to us sometimes. Two, sometimes it's our fault, but sometimes it isn't. Three, if bad things happen, walk with God. If good things happen, walk with God. And four, God will make everything right in the end. Though as we've seen, in the end, like for Naomi, maybe, not so good for Kilion or Marlon or Elimelech. God fulfilled his promises, but only after they died. Um, and I want to, I want to um, encourage us not to forget the first parts of this story. It's very easy to look at the last part and say, God loves us, that's great. God will protect us, which he does. God won't let anything happen. Well, actually, he will. He does let things happen, as we've seen with Ruth, and we've seen in the New Testament. Because if your gospel isn't big enough to cope with sometimes having to go through bad times, your gospel isn't quite right. I'm not saying it's rubbish. I'm not saying throw it away. What I'm saying is you need to tweak your gospel because I can guarantee that in two, five, ten years' time, you won't be here if your gospel's wrong in this way. If you believe in a God who will never let think bad things happen to you, uh, you won't stay the course. So we need to stay the course. And that means that our gospel has to be big enough to allow bad things to happen to us. Uh, what I want to ask you is this. And this is, there's something deeper than deeper, which I want to ask you, which is, which is this. When you signed up to be a Christian, did you sign up for God to help you with your plans? Or did you sign up so that you can help God with his plans? I'll take some, some thinking about and have a ponder on that. Uh, let's just have a quick, uh, a quick scan through the timeline and then I'll end. Abraham. Was the story of Abraham, is that about Abraham's plans or is that about God's plans? You see, God made some fantastic promises to Abraham. He said, you'll have loads of children and they'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky and you'll own the land. When Abraham died, he had one son. 
Well, actually had a few children, but only one that counted in the promise. And then we move along here to Moses. Moses, as we've just seen, he saw the promise of the promised land, and he knew his people were going into it, but he couldn't go into it himself. But just think of Moses and that question that I asked you. Was he waiting for God to do what he wanted, or was he partaking in God's grand plan? Because if it's the latter, he rejoiced, and Moses did rejoice because he could see he could see the promised land, and he could see that God's promises were being fulfilled. So promises made and fulfilled, promises made and fulfilled. This is the beauty of the Bible, isn't it? We can look back and we can see all these wonderful things uh, fulfilled. Um, but if you look at us now, and we're somewhere in that seating, as we were shown, what about us? Well, I put it to you that we're just the same. Promises given, promises fulfilled, but they're not our plans, they're God's plans. And we have to let God be God. We have to let God um, make the decisions, if you like. Um, you know, it would be nice, wouldn't it? When you, when, when you were little, when you were one of these kids down here, it would have been nice, wouldn't it, if your parents always said yes. That would be great, wouldn't it? You could have a party every day. And then you could have chocolate every mealtime. But it wouldn't go well for you. You see, God's plans are able to cope with the big thing and the little thing. And if we walk with God, he will walk with us. And we have a promise that in the end, whether it's in our lifetime or if it's not, in the end, God will make everything right because that's his covenant love and that's the end of the story for the adults now too